You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. I had the opportunity and honor to sit down with Alyssa LaFranconi. She's a founder and mind service director of Etica Logica. She's from a small region in the northeastern part of Italy, where she has a deep love of nature, horses, unicorns, homemade food, especially those Italian carbs, and most of all, the human experience. She applies philosophy, literature, the arts, and the beauty of languages as personal guides in her human experience adventure called Etica Logica. It's a medium to help people understand themselves through physical, mental, and emotional exploration. It sets up individuals to continue growth and sharing their infinite beauty of the human experience to build meaningful connections with one another. Alyssa is also the daughter of the celebrated icon, Francesco LaFranconi. She has a deep understanding of the beverage industry, and she shares her journey with us. So sit back, grab yourself your favorite Maker's Mark cocktail, and be prepared to be inspired. Alyssa, welcome to Served Up. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Bridget. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I know you have such a fascinating story. You know, not only are you the daughter of an iconic beverage professional, Mr. Francesco LaFranconi, but you also have a career that is so amazing where you are inspiring others to, to do better, to be better and to help, um, with their, with their health. And so I'd really love to start out by just getting to know you more and have our listeners get to know you a little bit more. So can you tell us, um, just a bit about where do you come from? You know, what was it like growing up somewhat in the beverage industry? <laughs> yeah. So the, the first big change, right, was when I moved from a small town in Italy to Las Vegas. It's interesting because I didn't speak English at the time. So they sent me right to school. And I was, I remember writing on my papers, um, yes, I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> and then the teacher and then the students would point at things and I learned English. So I thought that was a blessing to have been a child in trying to learn a new language because you're very flexible at that age. So you're very moldable. Uh, but then I was blessed with my dad, of course, as he traveled and did um, hotel menus and cocktail menus all over the, the country or and also the world. We've been to Peru. We've been to many uh, European countries. So I've, I was really blessed to see the higher standards of hospitality, as we would say. What age did you move from Italy to Las Vegas? Yeah, I was almost eight years old. So I was like, you know, as a kid, seven and three quarters. <laughs> seven and three quarters. Oh, my goodness. And what was your first initial thought when you moved from Italy to Vegas? Because that must have been a bit of a culture shock. 
Yeah, I didn't really understand, right? I was, as kids, they're very resilient. They kind of go with the flow. So I was adapting to, oh, we live here now and uh, there's different language, there's different food. Very cool. And then I remember, because I remember meeting you when you were very little, and I know you probably don't remember me at all, but I- I do. Um, <laughs> I, I've been friends with your dad for a very long time, but I remember meeting you when you were little and even through your teenage years when you were um, riding horses as well. Can you maybe tell us a bit about your connection to the horse? Yes. Nature is a big part of uh, my life. Uh, I started when I was 15. I looked up barns near me and uh, I saw that there was an English barn near my house. And I started just taking English lessons. And then one day they asked me if I wanted to jump. And I said, sure. So I tried jumping and I just instantly fell in love, got addicted. And then I could I would get on as many horses as possible. It was, uh, I would go from school, barn, school, barn. That was my sanctuary. Yeah, I bet. Did you compete? Yes, a little bit. Um, I started, I'm competing more now with my horse that I have. She's a very tough athlete. So we get to do more of the competitions now. So you're still competing? Yes. That's amazing. Is it with dressage? Uh, show jumping. So we show do jumping. The, yeah, the, the courses, obstacle courses. Very cool. When you, um, you know, when you moved from Italy, you moved to Las Vegas, you really did grow up in the beverage industry a bit because of your father. Where did you decide to go to college and what drove you to your career that you currently have today? Interesting. Um, when I, from high school, I went to an equestrian school, my first semester of college in Virginia, I, I got accepted into the writing program, but then I realized that the academic part was something that was very important to me because I went to a very good college preparatory school. So I, I started to fall in love with literature and philosophy, and I realized that this school didn't have enough of that. So I tried to pursue um, schools in the, I went to Spain, actually, I went to Madrid. I studied a semester abroad in, through the St. Louis campus, and they had a political science and philosophy program. So I did that. And I also got to ride in Spain and get to know different minds in that realm. And then I decided that I really wanted to use my philosophy and passion for understanding the human condition in an applicable way. And I thought I fell into psychotherapy and I thought that that was going to be a beautiful connection. And that's why I'm pursuing the world of existential psychotherapy, which is simply a form of therapy that tries to understand the human being through their very, how they understand their life and how they give meaning to things. And that affects their worldview or how they cope with stressors and events. That is fascinating. It really is. And what a unique field to study, right? You're making such a great contribution to the world because of that, you know, by helping people. Can you tell us about the company that you're currently with and what the work that you're doing? Yeah. So um, my company is my baby right now. I created it. It's called Etica Logica. So a quick rundown of that. It comes from the Greek words ethos and logos. So the ethos is a is it's translated into English roughly as nature. So something's plan or nature, and then logos is plan. Sorry. So the logos is the science of or a plan of how something works. So together we try to help the individual understand who they are, so their own personal nature, and realize that their own nature is their own plan, their own purpose. So once you understand how you operate and how you think and what you love yourself, your own nature becomes your purpose, the actions that you partake in. 
So what is that journey like for one of your clients to uncover this about themselves? So we're creating what's called a soul concierge experience. And that is that we connect mind, body, and spirit. So the individual comes into us and we do a wellness assessment and we understand what their goals are. And if we think if therapy will be the best treatment modality, or maybe they have to also do some body work or energy work, or they need to address diet and that's what's causing some of the depressive symptoms. So we start to see which dimension needs to be addressed first, and then we create this roadmap for them for full understanding and healing. And what about this energy work? What is, what is that? What is that all about? Sure. So we connect with different providers and small businesses in town and that do energy work. And that is simply energy healing. So you have different modalities. You have Reiki, you have the body system, the body code and the emotional code. They're modalities in which they've learned to understand how energy flows through the body. And these talented practitioners can sense where maybe the energy is being stored because emotions have a physical reaction in the body. So you can hold your emotion in different organs and different muscles, and, and they, they help you release those feelings. That's really amazing and so very um, true, right? Can you talk to us about very specific to the beverage industry? Because in 2020, we all went through so much trauma, you know, with COVID and whether it be um, a loss of a job, maybe it was even the loss of a loved one because of COVID. And, you know, right now, even as things are opening up slowly, we're, we're still in it. You know, we're not out the gate yet. And so can you give our listeners maybe some great tips on how to cope with the situation that our industry is in? Because, you know, we've talked about it multiple times on this podcast on how other industries, such as the airlines, received a huge bailout, where it was only recently that we're really seeing some support for the restaurant bar industry. Yes, that's a very good point, Bridget. Um, I think there is a situation and events that require us to really change and shake up the way that we have been seeing our worldview like a pandemic uh, has also some some pros and cons, right? So the cons, of course, it's there's a lot of unknown and there's feelings of loneliness, detachment, isolation, fear. But the pros of that is an event like a pandemic that's worldwide, it, it really taps into our common humanity experience, right? So we all have these feelings. We all feel different emotions. We all feel loneliness, fear, change of the unknown, happiness, uh, connection. And so these events really can also create uh, and foster our shared humanity. And so what I think is the beauty of the hospitality industry is the connections. I think that the reason why the hospitality industry is so resilient, and, and what I mean by resilient is it can overcome such great obstacles. That's what um, we use a lot in therapy is resiliency, how well someone can cope with adversity. I think that the hospitality industry is founded upon a very tight network of connections. People know each other, they socialize together, they create emotional experiences, not just for their guests, but also when with coworkers at the bar, at the restaurant, everywhere, at the hotels. And so I think that the beautiful thing about the hospitality industry is this connection. So what do we do? Because right now, you know, even like today, you and I, and thank goodness, you know, we're on Zoom 
and we're able to connect, even though you're in Vegas and I'm in a small town outside of um, Chicago. But when we've lost so much of that connection over the Mm -hmm. past year, and so many of us um, are still, you know, maybe staying at home a bit more or not adventuring out because we feel like it's not safe or it's worrisome. So when you miss that human connection, um, and I'm just speaking for myself personally at this point, you know, just you feel like you're just losing a bit of yourself within that as well. So do you have any coping mechanisms or any suggestions of really healing, you know, past this moment in time? Hmm. Yeah, interesting phrase you use there, right? Losing my losing oneself. Um, if we explore that a little bit more, that really helps us see how we are social creatures, right? So if we have prolonged periods of isolation, right, that's how one of the worst tortures in the world, for instance, is to put someone in, um, in, in the prisons, right, to put them in the isolation unit where they're completely alone. It speaks about our nature of connection. Ever from the moment that we are born, right, we crave feeling wanted by our caretakers or the tribe. And when we were in the caveman periods, we needed to feel connected to the tribe. So my hope in, in this is to help people realize that we can access one another, even though we might be geographically more restricted, more in our homes, by reaching out to other people is still possible, right? So to connect and call people, um, to, to be part of maybe classes and programs, but also to know that we all share this feeling of loneliness and isolation. You are not alone in this experience. And so I think if if I try to motivate my clients to at least reach out to one or two people a day if they have to stay in kind of a quarantine situation because it does really help to be reminded that this is still temporary in the long-term scheme of things. This is a chapter in the book. It's not the entire book. Yeah, I love that. This is definitely not the entire book. No. This is just something that we have to get through. And then what about us um, who might be in the corporate world or in a position that we are on Zooms all day long, you know, and you're on eight Zooms and you have to be on and and it, it is exhausting. And I just want to hear your thoughts or your ideas around this term that, you know, we're seeing in the news, we're seeing in newspapers and online and hearing it quite often and that Zoom fatigue you know, um, do you have any tips on maybe how to not get Zoom fatigued? <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. So let me start on my balance rant, right? <laughs> so I have this rant I always tell people about um, technology taking over our lives. And what I mean by that is that I'm worried about the lack of balance between self-care and really being present with our body and nature and the and, and technology kind of taking our attention away from that, right? So what I would recommend is if I know because of the times you have to do a, uh, eight sessions a day on Zoom, it's super important that you have a morning ritual. So I would really save one or two hours before you start to work to really focus on yourself and do an activity like meditation, yoga, workout, take a walk around the block, do a physical activity that you're fully present with no technological interference. And then also do a small thing that you love to do, whether it be write, uh, cooking, something that's very hands-on that keeps you very in the present moment to really ground you 
and and prepare you for the next eight hours that unfortunately are going to have to be in front of the computer. So you, you do achieve some balance because you've integrated it as the first thing that you did in the morning. You've set your brain up for success. Is that what you also do when you talk about diet and exercise? Because I think that that goes hand in hand if you're, you know, for like myself, you know, I am sitting on Zooms pretty much all day, every day. And even though I've been working from home for about a decade, what has definitely changed is not traveling. Hmm. not having those, you know, face-to-face meetings. And I think this is, I'm speaking for a lot of people, just not myself. And then also, you know, when you do get off of the Zoom for the day, just being absolutely wiped out, just so tired. So the last thing you want to think about is maybe exercising or you just want me want to sit on the couch and Netflix, you know, has <laughs> been, really binge watch something. So how do we break that cycle? I'm telling you, if the first habit that you do in the morning, you're going to wire your brain for success. So if in the morning you do that small physical activity or go outside or do it right in the morning, uh, you could also integrate boundaries, right? So create breaks in between your meetings if possible. Uh, Remove yourself. Don't eat your lunch at your computer, for instance. If you've already had eight hours at this desk, maybe really consider at lunchtime eating it outside or eating it in a different room. Boundaries is going to be super helpful to to balance uh, the work and home life environment when they're in the same environment. Yeah, because it's really hard, you know, when your office is your home and your home is your office, there's there, the boundaries are really just the door behind me. That's kind of where it starts and stops. And I think for all of us, when you're in your home office... So that does make it a bit challenging. And it also makes it just so easy every single time when you walk past your refrigerator to maybe grab a snack or to grab some of those chips or whatever it might be. What are your suggestions on adjusting your your ways of um, your ways of your diet? And I'm saying going on a diet because I don't think that that's so healthy, but maybe, you know, just making sure that you're you're really supplying your body with what it needs to be healthy. Yes diet, the big word, the first word that came to mind was the word habit. We have to think about it like this. We we still have a very caveman brain. And what I mean by that is that it still craves very uh, sugary or fat fatty foods. And we're in a modern time though, where we're not in the, the reason why the cavemen's used to crave these foods is because it wasn't so readily available. And so when they got sub, the brain was wired and cued in to absorb as much as they could in one sitting because they didn't know when the next meal would be or how much they had exercise they would have to partake to hunt the next prey and things like that. In today's society, however, we still have the same instinct, but we have readily available food. And also we use food a lot of times as reward systems, right? So like if you have an event, you go out to dinner to celebrate or let's get ice cream. You got a good grade. Let's get ice cream, right? So there's also childhood memories associated to food as a reward. So we kind of want to replace different types of rewards. So if after a long meeting, you go and get a snack to to treat yourself, you might either, you can make it a healthy snack, right? You can make some lovely parfaits or a smoothie or fruit or um, even rice cakes with some peanut butter. Those are healthy, healthy kinds of foods, right? Or you can find different ways to reward yourself. Uh, Maybe you can buy a new book. You could uh, invest in something that's in your hobby. So you buy a bottle in your collection, right? 
It could be different elements that can be rewarding, but food is definitely going to have a big connection that you might want to, if you feel like it's a problem, you might really want to talk to someone about that because you're going to find there's a childhood theme there. There's a pattern related to food that's been created both in your childhood, but also by society and marketing. So every action is connected to a blueprint of beliefs and thoughts. That's really interesting. You know, I just thought every time I go walk past the chips, it's just, I just want to eat them. That's all. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Just comes down because they, they're fun to munch on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And see what you said there, right? Fun. They're fun to munch on. So for mm-hmm. a moment, you have a sensational experience that when your primitive brain is like, yes, salty and fatty. Yes. Come on. Mm-hmm. Let's keep eating this. We'll survive. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have the fun component, which our brain is wired for pleasure and avoids uh, um, pain. Right. So it's wired to promote pleasure and avoid pain. So it's going to say, yes, keep doing this activity. If you're not aware, if you're not being mindful and being in control of how many chips you're eating. Yeah, that that really makes some sense. Why do Americans, do you think, especially um, seem to have these problems with regards to food, you know, sodas, really unhealthy choices? And why are we wired differently than cultures that just don't have um, our history of heart disease or other results of the American diet? Well, without getting into the greed and the corporation argument, because, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of psychology. See, everything can be used as a to better mid-society or things can also be used as weapons, right? So psychology is a great tool to promote healing and positivity, but marketing companies also use psychology to promote certain products that might not necessarily be healthy. I use the word a lot symbiosis to compare, for instance, the Italian culture and the American culture when it comes to lifestyle. Let me give you an example. What I mean by that is, for instance, how we're located geographically in the smaller towns, there's usually a grocery store that's in walking distance or bike distance. So it was common for, now it's changing too because of industrialization, of course, but it's common to grab your bike or go for a walk to your local grocery store. And what you're doing there is getting some exercise. Plus you're getting food from farmers because people are raised on eating farm fresh food. That's kind of the cultural norm and standard. And then you're interacting also with the cashier because you're in that local town. So you know everyone and you're, and you're getting your social needs met. So with that one errand, you got your physical exercise in, you got healthy food taking uh, purchased, and then you also have a social interaction. So it's a it's an experience. It's a it's a lifestyle instead of it being like, oh, I need to exercise. I need to do this. I need to eat this food and, and being chores. They're all integrated as a an experience. So it must have been such a culture shock for you and, and your parents, you know, when you moved from Italy, based on what you said, you know, really that cultural influence has so much to do with your diet, with your health, with your, your stress level and with your physicality, right? It's so amazing. And so what do you think, you know, you, you spoke a little bit about Italy, but you also lived in Spain and you really have had the opportunity to travel the world. And so I would love to hear from you, you know, what are some ideas that you've seen from other societies that maybe have worked that we're just really not doing here in the United States when it comes to to health, whether it be mental health or physical health? It's funny. The first thing that comes to mind, especially as an eight-year-old, when I first came to Las Vegas, that was the first time I ever was on an airplane and traveled anywhere outside of Italy. Uh, The first word that came to mind was quantity versus quality in the sense of there's a 
it was all very big. There's high volume, everything. There's a lot of quantities of everything. Everyone is busy all the time. And then in Italy, the, 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 the life pace, the lifestyle pace. And then also when I traveled to Japan, which was very eye-opening, there's really this emphasis on detail and being present and taking time for rituals and, and nature. And so that mindfulness being present attitude is interwoven in the cultural and social um, environments. So how do we work on being more present? Yeah, awareness, right? Yeah. So that's why I also created Etica is to create a subculture within the culture of Las Vegas, right? Las Vegas is very fast paced. You have a very transient town. Not a lot of people are, were actually from Las Vegas. We have a lot of people that move here for work. And so I wanted to create a community of people that share the, the wanting for a, a very mindful lifestyle, but they might feel out of place in a high volume city like Las Vegas. So it, it can be a place where people with like-minded feelings and desires can create that. So what I, what I mean by that is that it can be created. We just have to be advocates and promote what we want because at the end of the day, what we buy as consumers, we actually have a lot of power. Even though there's a lot of corporations and corporate interest out there, the consumers, they need us to make them successful as well. So if we promote products that are very healthy or uh, rituals or lifestyles that promote mindfulness, they will cater more to that. I, I feel you. I remember when I moved to Las Vegas with my husband, Jamie, in 1998, and it was a bit of a culture shock. And when I say a bit, it was a big fat culture shock for me. <laughs> I live, I came from a small town called Shorewood, Illinois. It was even smaller than it is now. It's where I currently live. You know, we moved back to our hometown. Um, we don't have a high school or a hospital. You know, that's how small it is, put into perspective of most cities and towns in America. And I remember moving there and you're right. Everything was so big and everything was an access, right? So you always have like you need to be part of that energy and that vibe. And um, I think that in, it really was, at least for me, probably one of the first times I'd ever had what people call FOMO, right? That fear of missing <laughs> out, you know, like you just can't say no to stuff because you're going to miss out on that next big meal at the next hot spot or at the next bar or at the next event or whatever it might be. And it's so polar opposite from growing up in a, in a very small rural town where things do move slower and you do have access to multiple generations of family members as well. You know, my parents literally live right down the street. Mm. So it's super different than living in this fast paced vibe. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just a different experience, right? And with that experience definitely comes some challenges. So you were mentioning the importance of those social interactions, like with our neighbors mm -hmm. and how, how has really like technology and social media helped us meet that need. And then also, you know, how has it hurt us? The biggest thing I see, especially with my clients, especially my teenager and, the, and my younger ones too, is the limited ability to have conversation skills and, and honesty. Because a lot of people have this false sense of confidence by typing on a screen how they feel about you or in, that they would never say to your face because clearly there's, uh, there are very uh, hostile or aggressive terms used. And they really, there's a dehumanization that happens through the computer because you're talking through a medium instead of directly interacting with that person. So you're a little bit detached from that physical energy that you would feel with someone. Like for instance, you know, the famous expression, like 
I don't like your vibe or I'm not jiving with your vibe. So what that really means, right, is because we have, we're made of energy, our atoms are free inside of us are moving to the frequency of the feeling that we feel. Like if you have anger or anxiety, your, your molecules and energy is very tense and tight, and that gives off a certain frequency. And so when you're in, when someone maybe doesn't match your emotional, where you're at and you meet with someone, your intuition feels those vibes and you can, you don't feel an alignment or you feel an alignment, like you feel calm around this person or you feel anxious around this person. So we're missing a lot of the physical experience of being with another human that we can't get through the computer. I, I, I feel that. I think a lot of us definitely, you know, feel that. And then what about, you know, just specifically talking about the beverage industry here for a lot of us that are going back to work and going back to our bars, thank goodness, or whether a chef or a bartender or an owner, you know, we're really going back in a brand new way where before we didn't have to wear masks, we didn't have to stay six feet apart. Um, our customer definitely was not as concerned as, you know, the health awareness around you. You know, was there hand sanitizer available and, you know, all these things. So there is this new stress, right, that comes with re-entering the workforce. Can you talk to us, maybe tell the listeners some ways to handle those stressors that could manifest? One of the biggest protective factors against stress is gratitude. And what I mean by that is when you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to do all these things to be open. Because we've now known the contrast of being closed, if we can shift our perspective to, yes, this really sucks. It's really annoying. I have a lot of steps to do. It's taking a lot of time. However, I'm grateful to be able to be reopened and slowly transition back into the, into the field again, right? So that attitude of gratitude when we have a lot of stress can really help us increase our perspective to the macro picture so that we don't stay so zoomed into the micro and let that affect our happiness and our well-being. How do we stay present within that gratitude? How do we, hmm. you know, remind ourselves to be within that grace to get yeah. us through that stress? So compassion is one of the key elements, right? What I, what I preach every single day, and I preach this to myself constantly too, is it's good enough. And what I mean by that is at every single moment, every second that we're alive, we're complete. We're 100%. What I mean by that is there's nothing else that we could be in this moment. Every moment is, is right here. It's, called, it's constantly creating. So there isn't really that future sense. It's all, we think about the future, a concept through the present moment. So everything that exists is right here, right now. And so if we believe that we are good enough, we are complete, nothing is lacking. You won't have to struggle as much because you come back to what's right in front of you right now. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you really feeling your feet on the ground and looking with your senses and, and hearing and seeing what's right in front of you right now. That's such an important message. Just being present in the moment. Yes. Right. Yes. Because yeah. the 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 enemies I call them to happiness. And I take this from I don't take credit for this, of course. These are my philosopher mentors like Plato. Uh, Plato thinks that the root of all evil is greed. And the Buddhists also, and the Stoics think that greed and ambition are the things that are preventing you from being happy because greed says it's never enough and ambition says it's never good enough. Mm -hmm. So you're never satisfied. And so what happens is when we get greedy, we tend to lie, cheat, steal, because we, we feel there's a void that we're trying to fill. It's never enough. 
That, that's that's very true. And I think that that's what gets a lot of people in trouble, mm-hmm. whether it doesn't matter what position that you do or where you are at in life. Yeah. 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 It really does come down to that. Um, you sacrifice quality, right? For that quantity. Yeah. Yeah. It comes back to, it all comes back to when you moved to America from Italy. It was my life metaphor. I swear. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, How do, how do we offer, you know, that positive open energy to others? Oh yes. Okay. Here's number two lesson. I preach constantly to myself and others. Self-care is self-love. What I mean by that is people have this stigma or conception that self-care is selfish. But let me tell you, self-care is self-interested. If I'm taking care of myself, and that what I mean by that is my body, my mind, my spirit, and I, I so I'm eating well, I'm sleeping, I'm um, connecting with people, I'm unplugging from my devices. What I'm doing by that is improving my energy. And what I, when I'm in this state and I'm taking care of, now I have energy in my cup to give to other people, right? So the more I love myself and I accept myself, the less I judge others because I'm not judging myself. I'm not also judging others because every time we judge others, we're offering a projection of how we're judging the world. And so the more loving and accepting I am of myself, when I say loving and accepting is there's always things we want to work on, but we don't hate them. We don't use negative language when we talk to ourselves. We simply say, yeah, I've gained a few pounds, but that's weight. Weight is temporary. I know that if I work on this issue, then I can, it'll go away. It's something I can work on. It's not something fundamentally flawed within me. It's just something that I don't really love right now, but I can work on. Let's say it is something you don't like, like some people don't like their height, for instance, which is something you can't change. You simply say, you know, yeah, I wish I would have been this much taller or this shorter, but I'm going to accept it because it's the only one I have. And I'm going to work with it instead of distracting or hating myself for it and taking a part of me away. So self-care, the more we have self-care and self-love, then we can be open because we're feeling good and healed. So we can offer that same energy. Uh, A really good metaphor a lot of people use, like Dr. Wayne Dyer, he's a very inspiration of mine, is if you squeeze an orange, what should come out is orange juice, right? The juice of it. So he always asks the question, if you were to squeeze yourself, what feelings and energy would come out? And that's where the work has to begin. So if it's not good, it's not positive or not healthy, then you have to start working on your health and your self-love. What if we, uh, what if we practice self-care, mm-hmm. really fill up our cup? You know, what are some of the best ways that you've seen people offer that positivity to others when they're just mm-hmm. in that really great place, you know, that people can actually very much easily receive? unstructured time. So like when you have just time for yourself, like you have 30 minutes where you don't have to do something, you just pick laying on the floor or playing a game or having a conversation, something that feels fun. Play is one of the best ways to de-stress. And play has to be unstructured in the sense of it's spontaneous. So what I usually recommend to people is I wrote, I ask them to write some things that they feel are fun, what activities they consider fun, and how can we integrate those during the day? You know, does it help as part of like a daily ritual to say these things like to ourselves, you know, just to manifest that positivity by literally saying out loud that we accept who we are, how we are, or, you know, how we feel? 
Yeah. Oh, manifesting. That's another one. <laughs> so a lot of my clients come in with, oh, I've been practicing manifesting. And if I say this, it'll happen. So let me explain a key important detail about this. Your mind and your body want to match. So if you have a thought, you're, you also want to have congruency. So you want to usually be in harmony with that, with the action of that thought. So for instance, um, if you really value honesty, you also want to tell the truth. Now you're in congruence. So whatever, what you think and say are matching, right? But you might have anxiety if what you think and say are not matching. So your body will always strive to find this balance. And that's where sometimes people that have self-sabotage tendency, they're like, I always try to do my best, but I end up self-sabotaging myself. That means that their conscious mind is trying to get that activity done, but their unconscious mind believes that they're not good enough or they're not able to because of their programming from childhood or a past trauma or a past negative experience. So when you're thinking about manifesting healthy self-care, what you want to do is really get to the root of understanding that I, to really, first, I really do believe in myself and I do love myself and I know that I'm enough. So I want to invest in myself. So you want to imagine the feeling of a healthy version of you. And then once you have that vision of you, you want to create healthy steps. So you want to act in congruence to the vision that you have. You need to be in step, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of be in step with yourself. Yeah. yeah. What about the imposter syndrome? You know, that's definitely a real thing. And especially in the beverage industry where so many are praised, well-deserved, so many awards are given and so much pressure at the same time, right? To maintain that level of excellence um, that they're either projecting every day at their bar, at their restaurant. If it's, you know, so far behind the scenes, sometimes we don't hear or see it, but just their culture within where they have their day-to-day, -day, you know, people have those really high expectations and they keep delivering, but they don't believe that they are, that they don't believe that they are worthy or um, that they feel like they're being a fraud. Can you talk a little bit about how to push through those feelings? Two things come to mind with that, Bridget. Uh, the first one is this belief they have that they're not good enough is not about work. It's coming from the unconscious mind. And a lot of great strategies for working on that is you could do things. Therapy is very good. Uh, hypnotherapy is also very good because when you're in hypnotherapy, you can access alpha wave brain and you could uh, connect with the unconscious mind to the conscious mind. So that's a really great way to work through those beliefs. You have to really understand, though, where you learn that concept. The work environment is bringing it up, but it's coming from something very deeply rooted within you. And that's where the journey has to. That's why we always say grow from within. That's my company logo is the journeys. All the answers are found within. So that that thought that you're having not good enough is not just coming from that. It's coming from a long list of feelings and past events that are connecting to that. The second thing is you can only always be your own self. You will never fit a role 100%. The role is not you. For instance, if you say, I'm a doctor, right? Well, what, what is a doctor? It's just you with this energy that have learned these skills and knowledge, and you're putting your energy and actions into the career of healing people's bodies, right? So the doctor role is created by you. The role does not, you cannot fit into a role other than your own self. So maybe not let the role define you? 
you define the role. Bring you your strengths the to the role. Right. Oh, okay. I think we just had an Oprah aha moment. Right <laughs> yes. <there. laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> how, do, how do we get to that point of balance, you know, between our conscious thought and our actions, you know, especially if we um, have past trauma or, you know, some programming that just inhibits it? You know, do we ID these traumas or the programming first? And we're really like, what are the steps um, to get that connection of conscious and the unconscious mind? Yeah. So think about it like this. So your unconscious mind has been with you day one from the womb, right? Every memory, every feeling, every senses that you've seen is recorded there. What happens is when certain feelings are overwhelming for us, especially as children, or we perceive certain things with a, with a certain storyline. Uh, for instance, if we see mom and dad arguing, because we're very little, we say to ourselves, well, they're probably arguing because of me because I'm a bad kid. If I was better, they wouldn't be arguing. That's just a very basic example. That's actually very common because little children, they have a very ego-centered approach. So they associate cause and effect as them causing it because they don't have abstraction yet. They don't understand, oh, other people are responsible. They think they're causing their environment. And so they create this storyline. And or if uh, our parents made certain comments about us or in school we were bullied or there's a, a, an embarrassing event that happened, we trap that event and it doesn't get processed because we don't have the emotional maturity or we don't have um, parents that do are really doing the best that they can. They, they, even the best parents uh, can't prevent how someone is perceiving certain events. And so we, we keep these memories stored in us. And if we don't work through them with the feelings that are associated to it, they will keep repeating because they're trying to get our attention to undo them because we only do what's familiar. So the brain is wired for survival and keeping us alive. So it's wired to prefer things that are familiar and avoid things that are unfamiliar. That's why starting a new workout routine or a new diet or a new job or anything that's new or change is very scary because our brain is like, well, I don't know if we'll survive this. And so we have to have this positive self-dialogue to encourage it. Yes, let's look at what hurts or let's try something new. I know it's new, but it's not scary. It's safe. So then how do we protect ourselves? Like when we're already really stressed and our energy is more closed, let's say from others who aren't as present and are uh, hostile, maybe with their energy, what are some self-protection that we can be doing? Absolutely. Great question. I always use the rule of I statements. I can't control the other person's behavior and they're choosing to behave that way. So I simply say, you know, I'm really not comfortable with you yelling right now or being hostile. So I'm going to remove myself until we can have a calm conversation or I'm really uncomfortable with this, how this feels. And so I'm going to need to talk to you later, right? You, you can't control what they're doing. You can decide what you want to do and you're free to choose how you want to react to that person. You know, because I think that some healthy patterns do need to come out of even unhealthy situations, right? That is definitely like the the end goal. And especially in like the work environment where you feel like you don't have that power maybe to say, hey, I don't like the way that you're speaking with me. I don't like that your voice is raised. Do you have any suggestions when you're in that situation specifically when you're in maybe your restaurant or your bar and you feel quite powerless? Yes, like guests are being very rude. Guests yeah. or your manager. It could manager. be, yeah, or coworker. What other people choose to do is not about us. So we can't cause, like, if you called me a bad name right now, it's my choice to believe that, right? So 
my reaction to that is either is being either triggered because I I believe it or I'm not understanding that this is you choosing to do this because of the story that you're telling yourself about this event. So if someone's yelling at me, for instance, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with their inner state of how they're perceiving the situation. This person might have been raised uh, that if people deny them things, then they feel inferior. So they get very angry and they feel the need to bring you down to their sadness, right? So everything that people do is not about you. It's, it's a reflection of how they're interpreting the event based on their current emotional or past hurts. So you might be a trigger for something in them that's not healed, especially when someone's very hostile. Uh, anger has two main reasons. One, it's an unmet need. So think of the toddler when you say, can I have ice cream for breakfast? And you say, no. And they're like, but I, and then they start exploding, right? So you just denied them something. So they get angry to try to bully them themselves. Or anger is hurt. Ouch, you're in my space or you hurt me. So I'm going to have to, I'm trying to push you away. I'm trying to prevent you from hurting me or getting in my space or you've crossed a boundary. So let's say that I value honesty and you just lied to me. I'm going to be angry about that because it crosses a boundary violation. So anger is an empowering and protective emotion. So when your guests or managers are showing anger, that's saying something in them is hurting. So they're hurting or they're trying to protect something in them. It has nothing to do with you unless you directly cause something. But in this situation, it was not the case. That's really great. That's great advice. And what a what a um a different way to look at things too, right? Yeah. Um, if our listeners have connected, you know, with, with what we've been talking about today, and we've really covered so much. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you are definitely a, definitely a La Franconi. Sure. <laughs> my goodness. Um, you know, how can they best connect with you to really just start down the road to a healthier self? What's the best way that they can reach out? So I'm based in Nevada. So for 101 therapy, I could only, my license is only in Nevada, but I'd be happy to help guide you through the system of how to connect with the therapist. Oh, and now a lot of insurances cover therapy. Just, I want to mention that too. So it's become, you should really check with your insurance carrier or some companies. Like I know a lot of the hotels here have what's called an EAP program, an employee assistant program, where mm -hmm. they offer like three free sessions of therapy or five, and then depends on the contract. And then you pay a small copay. So there are also those things. Um, but if you go to my website, etzukalogica.com or my Instagram, we always share tips, videos um, with the Soul Concierge Packet. We're trying to create a platform. That one I could do nationally. That one you can do as, as consulting instead of therapy. So you could present the goals that you want to reach. And then I get to know a little bit about you and I can create a definitely a treatment plan or a roadmap for you. Well, I think that that is really a great asset and a great a resource, especially for the beverage industry, because I do know you have a deep understanding um, of our industry and the struggles and the stresses and the happiness as well, you know, that it can bring in those joys on the other side, right? Yeah, the hospitality, all the people you know, I've had the pleasure to meet along the years, they're very passionate about what they do. And they're very caring, right? They have this desire to provide this uh, experience and service. So that's why I'm worried about burnout in this industry, right? Because mm. it's, you know, we want to provide this experience and we really want to 
give where there's a lot of there's a lot of giving in this industry. And so my biggest advice is to really you can't give if your cup is empty. That's why you should always come first and that's not selfish. That's for the betterment of all of us. Oh my goodness. So we're going to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Thank you. Self-care is not selfish. It's self-interest. <laughs> yes. And often in our industry, we just we give and give and give and we definitely forget to do for ourselves. Going to put that oxygen mask on, you know, mm-hmm. for ourselves first so that uh, we sometimes we're left with nothing. For ourselves and that that's what definitely happens to too many of us. You know, I think that us, you know, people even like myself that we put ourselves out there each and every day for years and years and years. I mean, burnout is just at some point it's unavoidable, you know, it, yeah, it's going to happen. A good question to ask yourself is I really recommend simplifying the best that you can your schedules and ask yourself, which of these is really an investment in my future self? Like which of these are investments and they will really help me meet my goals and which of these are can be condensed into one or they're not essential. And, and that and that goes with time management, right? Time is a resource. It's limited. So you have to really develop a, a balance of how to use more of the time on the things that are more important to you and that provide more happiness and, and personal satisfaction. Well, I want to thank you. We're going to end on that note because it's a very positive note. And I just, <laughs> I want to, I want to thank you so much for joining Served Up today. I think that you've left us all a lot to think about and definitely have at least given us a nice nudge to self care, self awareness, and to positivity. So I appreciate your work and I want to wish you so much health and some great peace because you, my friend, are very special individual and very important to so many people for their for their personal growth. So thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Bridget. I really want to break the stigma because we all have these emotions. So let's just talk about them and you will see that we're all one. Oh, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!